Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered by Betsperts. Welcome to The Deep Dive. Andy, we got two divisions left, but it is an annual tradition of ours as we are on the eve of the NFL regular season kickoff to reach out to some of the smartest minds that we know across the football handicapping space and get their temperature on sort of the macro uh, topics, macro themes that surround the NFL handicapping community. And this uh, is a special episode. It's an episode I look forward to every year. We bring on one of our, I think, our first ever NFL guest on the deep dive and I think this is probably our our most frequent guest. This is, I think, his eighth time. Modal. Modal. High, <laughs> highest mode. Highest, the highest mode. mode. Yep, that's right. And and all you know what else? Also, our most requested guest. I get questions oh. every year of uh, of when is uh, when is Suma coming on? Especially oh, from the female, the female <laughs> handicappers. They ask for that. Oh, they all the, want to know the, yeah, the yeah. accent. P- girls yeah, love an the accent. Sexy Sherman coming on. Um, so without further ado, welcome back to the deep dive, Mr. Fabian Summer. Hey guys, what an intro! Thanks for having me. Oh, I was looking forward to it as well. Basically, all spring, all summer, and now we are almost <laughs> back. Almost back. And yeah, you can uh, see that on the if you're listening in podcast form, it is at S U U M A 810 on Twitter. I was telling somebody who was unfamiliar about the story of probably your first appearance where he said, Hey people, you know, Suma, where can people find you on Twitter? And you said, uh, S W M A 810. And we had to tell you like, Hey buddy, that doesn't fly in, in, in English. Like W means something else. You can't do that. People aren't going to find you. So it's two U's in a row. That one still always cracks me up. Yeah. And, uh, without question, still the sharpest guy that I know in the football handicapping space. Um, and you know, I, I'm I we're we are recording this on the on the uh, right on the heels of covering the most interesting division in the NFL, the AFC North. Um, hopefully, you have not had a chance to listen to our breakdowns yet, and we can get a completely un uh, un I guess an unaffected, uh, an unbiased take from you on how the AFC North is going to shape up this year. Um, and I, I really, I kind of want to start there before we get into sort of the the bigger picture stuff. Um, what's your temperature on the AFC North right now? Because I think it's different than ours, or at least different than mine. Maybe Andy's kind of in the middle. But uh, where do you stand as we uh, get ready to kick off the AFC North? Um, so I think that it's going to be a very exciting division as long as Joe Burrow can somehow stay mobile in the pocket and uh, maybe Big Ben is not on the biggest decline ever. Um, However, I pretty heavily lean towards the Ravens as the clear number one in the division. And I don't think that this is a consensus opinion because over the summer I've read a lot about the Brownies, which is completely fair. and, and I think that the Browns, at least for a couple of weeks, were the favorite to win the, the division. Maybe they still are. I don't really know right now. But I think that, that there was a point like in May or in April where the Browns were the favorite to win the AFC North, which I disagreed with. But I think that we are 
uh, sleeping on the Ravens, and I don't really think enough. What are some of the positives that you see for the Ravens that you think people are missing? Because this is yeah, a good just, rebuttal on the heels. Of just hit on the, the when when we went into it last night, we said like we went over the 2020 season, and then we did you know the Browns. We said here's what the Browns needed to fix, and that they worked on their secondary. And then we got to the Ravens, and we had a few more question marks about what they needed to fix. And I guess that would be the biggest question is how do you see the Baltimore Ravens passing game improving? from last year or even and I think it probably was almost a little bit declined from the previous year how do you see it getting past you know that level and still maintaining the you know the identity that they created with uh, Lamar being such a dynamic runner as well well I think that there are two components one is that um, they added uh, Sammy Watkins and Rashad Bateman I think Bateman he was touted as maybe the most polished route runner in the draft and that's basically exactly what the Ravens were lacking last year. They were just lacking someone who can win one-on-one -on, -one on the outside, get open on some quick outs, speed outs, and stuff like that. And on the other side, Sammy Watkins in that typical wide receiver two role is also an upgrade. And it also allows Marquise Brown to do some stuff over the top, get his speed going, um, because I don't think that they really were able to unleash him um, properly last year because they just didn't have any other outside threats and mark andrews is led for a bounce back season he, he was dealing with some drops and then we get to the offensive line i mean ronnie stanley tore his acl i think in week eight or nine against pittsburgh um they added kevin zeidler they have been playing with a with a new center since i think week 10 or 11 last week so i think that they have um, upgraded their receiving curve they have upgraded their offensive line and it can only go up, in my opinion. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I mean, I mean um, it's, it's where we landed. We just weren't so sure about it all happening. And that, that's where we land with every team. It's like, here's the thing that need to happen. And then you've, I mean, you've got to set probabilities to each of those things happening. Like Minnesota was a good example of like, Minnesota has a super high ceiling, but it needs literally like six different things to all work out. And a couple of them were, you know, lower probabilities. And the more pieces you add like that were like, you know, Kirk Cousins need to have his best season ever. Plus, Kirk Cousins can't miss any games for COVID. You know, plus the defense has to be much improved with the younger cornerbacks. Plus, Daniel Hunter in the pass rush has to work. Plus, this offensive line, like, you know, it just all those things could happen. But once you start setting probabilities to them and you add six of them together, it's like, yeah, Minnesota has a high ceiling, but it's like a 5% chance that they get there. Whereas like Baltimore, I think, I think when you start throwing better coaching staffs and better, I mean, just better culture, overall culture of a team, you can start adding some percentage points to some of those things happening. And yeah, also and I, I, I would argue that, sorry, um, I would argue that Baltimore is a very high floor just because they have so, yeah. such a great rushing attack. And last year, I think from, let's say, week four to week 12, they ranked like 27th or 25th in EPA per dropback. Um, and then they had like that crazy stretch to, to finish the season where they went 5-0. and all. And let's just say that they stay a top five rushing attack, which is probably entirely reasonable. I, I don't see any other reasons why we should assume they will not be a top-notch rushing attack next season. And let, let's just say that they're passing attack over a 17-17 game season. Man, um, 
let's say they have like the 12th or 14th best passing attack. Combine that with a pretty good defense that didn't doesn't miss any beat. In my opinion, that's a pretty good team. Fair enough. Uh, one of the benefits or one of the beauties of having had you on so many times over the years is that we have some historical context to, to kind of look back on. And one of the fun podcasts that we did with you a million years ago, it feels like now, was pre-2018 NFL draft. Uh, what will end up becoming an extremely consequential draft for a lot of franchises, and particularly the AFC. That was, of course, the draft that um, the Browns ended up with Baker Mayfield, the Bills ended up with Josh Allen, and the Ravens ended up with Lamar Jackson. Now, and to when be we fair, were, Josh Rosen yeah, has Josh Rosen has been on a couple <laughs> AFC teams now. I think at this point, what is it? At least one because he was with Miami. I think. Yeah, I think he, he's he, been on like yeah. five teams, man. Yeah, didn't didn't work out in Miami. That's okay though. Uh, they don't all hit. The um, what I remember though from 2018, you were pretty high on Baker Mayfield coming into the NFL, and he hasn't really disappointed. I don't think through three seasons here. Um, what is your temperature on Mayfield as we head into this 2021 season, where he has? I mean, really, like there's not going to be any excuses this year if it doesn't work out for him between the coaching staff, what they put around him in terms of weapons, the strength of the offensive line, and now a good defense. Like, if it doesn't work out for Mayfield this year, you probably can't give him the bag. Uh, what is your expectation heading into uh, 2021 for Baker? Yeah, so I think Baker had his up and downs. And to be, far, to be fair, he was also thrown into some really bad situations with Hugh Jackson, Freddie Kitchens in that um, head coaching year where I just didn't know what to do with his play sheet. Um, where they called some sick um, draw on fourth and ten and stuff like that. So I think that May Baker was not in a great situation overall in Cleveland, and that completely um, switched when Kevin Stefanski took over. And I think that over three years we have a pretty good sample size. Yes, he's not the most consistent passer, but I think that he has all the tools to execute a well-designed offense. He will not be that uh, Russell Wilson, uh, maybe Justin Herbert, um, Patrick Mahomes type of guy who maybe can elevate a middling offense or middling personnel. Uh, but I think that he is now in the perfect situation where he can play like a borderline top 10 passer. And I think when you combine all that with the coaching staff, with the probably number one offensive line That's or the Beckham coming back, Yes, best offensive line. Odell Beckham coming back. Um, they they are also pretty deep at wide receiver right now because Odell, Jarvis Landry, and then they have guys like Donovan People Jones and uh, Rashad Higgins playing that uh, wide receiver three and fourth spot. I think they are pretty loaded, and I think that as as long as Baker can play like a borderline top ten, borderline top twelve passing uh, quarterback, um, this is a perfect situation for the Browns and. I'm not expecting like an elite passing attack or a, an elite offense overall, but I think that I think they were um, sixth in EPA per play last year. And we have to consider that they were playing without Odell Beckham for like 10 weeks. And they had three games with like 40 miles per hour of wind against the Raiders, Texans and the Eagles where their passing tag was basically non-existent because they just couldn't throw the ball. And then they had that one game against the Jets where they were playing without any wide receiver. So I think that yeah. sixth ranking in EPA per play might still be a little bit undervalued or underrated. And 
we should see that offense, in my opinion, as a top five, um, top five offense overall, where Baker Mayfield doesn't have to be Captain America. He, he just has to execute that offense. It's well designed. And I think that will also lead to a pretty solid contract for him next year. We, we gave him some credit for that, too. We said, you know, the, the missing player game, the wind games, the, the injuries. You know, we, we said, like, I think we even said, like, this team might have, you know, under normal circumstances, might have won, like, 13, 14 games. They had some some really odd happenings, and you're right. Like, Baker Mayfield's probably never going to be a top-five quarterback. But the way this roster is put together with that coach, and we talked about this a bunch, and I think what you said kind of solidified my thoughts. It's like a sum-of-the-parts team. Like, yeah. it's going to be just so many of the important things are like a quarterback who is capable behind a very good offensive line, enough receivers that aren't going to drop the ball and a good defense with a coach who knows what he's doing. Like some of the parts puts you near the top of the, you know, the top of the teams in your continent, very tough conference. And um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Maybe they have another month of win. You never know. Like shit can happen. It's going to be a whole day. And then, you know, we, we, it's funny. We spent like an hour and 45 minutes of this division. Now we're just, I don't know. Is it our favorite division now? We really, we really spent some time in the Browns last night and I had a lot of fun talking about them. I'm having fun again, but uh, we did want to talk some process a little too. And I got to thinking about that when we brought up the Vikings. I don't know. How do you, maybe I'll let Drew phrase it, the, the home field, just because we did see, I've seen a couple people tweet using the Vikings as a good example of home field as far as, you know, just how well they've played in that new stadium at home, not only winning, but against the spread. And the fact that we didn't have fans were <laughs> knock on wood. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Shit could get real again and we could cut down. But let's assume that we'll be back to like some normalcy of having fans. You have the, you know, the home field advantage when the when the opposing offense is on the field or especially when they're down near one or other other the other ends. And then the home field effect on the uh, on the referees. I don't know where you stand on some of that going into this year. Yeah, I mean, I guess the maybe the right way to phrase it is home field advantage was dying before the pandemic. Yeah, it was it a, was dying road field. It was, yeah, we had the ongoing joke about road field advantage pre-pandemic uh and then now you and then you took away the crowd noise and all of a sudden road teams were scoring at an impressive clip on top of the fact that there wasn't a huge uh referee you know induced um you know you know know, help they weren't getting help from the refereeing on top of now there was no uh no impact of the crowd noise um i it's fair to assume that there will be some regression towards the home teams this season but I'm certainly not going into this season assuming that it's anywhere close to historical average. Um, I think some of the regression we saw in 2019 is still real. Uh, do you approach home field advantage any differently this year than you would have two years ago? Um, not really. Um, I personally, I, I, will, I will land somewhere between 2018 and 2020. Um, when we look at the past couple of years, um, we, there was a great article, Bayesian Analysis of Home Advantage in North American Professional Sports before and during COVID-19. And they did a great job um, um, basically calculating estimated home field advantage where they also consider the strength of the opposing team. And they, you can pretty well see that home field advantage has been declining before 2019. Then we had that 
crazy outlier season in 2019 where road teams were performing i think slightly even slightly better than home teams and then last year we had that uh, tiny regression and they were dealing with empty stadiums and stuff like that um and i think i thought all off season about why home field advantage is declining in the nfl even though i don't expect it to be on that uh, 2019 or 2020 level and i came up with some subjective reasoning um i think that first of all um it's noise so what we saw in 2019 and 2020 there's probably a decent part just noise because we are dealing with so so small sample sizes um, and and on the other side i think that the the game of football in the nfl has evolved in the sense that um, coaching staffs and offensive coordinators are consistently finding better ways to make it easier for the quarterback, especially for young and um, inexperienced or bad quarterbacks. Because imagine like five, six years ago, um, the teams were pounding their running backs on early downs and the arguably worst situation a quarterback could be in was facing third and eight on the road against a loud crowd where he was not very experienced. He had to call audibles and stuff like that. We were dealing with some false starts from the offensive line. And th those were really tough situations for, for quarterbacks. And um, since 2016, we had motion rate increase by like 20 percentage points over four years. We have play action rates going up. And I think um, that stuff using motion indicating um, is the defense playing zone, are they playing man? Um, can we get a clue about safety rotations, maybe pre-snap already? Um, and I think that makes it extremely easier for every quarterback in general. And that might close the gap a little bit for the bad and the inexperienced quarterbacks. So I cannot really prove it. I cannot quantify that. But that's oh. a, let's say, subjective reason for me uh, to assume that home field advantage won't be back to all standards in the future. Let me throw let me throw a, a hypothesis out there, and you guys call bullshit or, or tell me that there's legs to this. Well, I'm going to. <laughs> there was an absolute explosion of scoring at the beginning of last year, and people assumed that it was because there was no noise and communication was better, and especially early in the season when there was no weather, there's no noise, you know, no crowd noise. Like all of a sudden, you had offenses clicking and performing at efficiencies that seemed impossible that we saw this in basketball too by the way this wasn't just football <laughs> for sure in the nba this was a thing um now that you reintroduce crowd noise could this impact totals more than home field advantage and or it could you have young offensive linemen who were previously you know, not they were at an advantage because they knew the snap count better. There was communication was better. They were getting on, you know, on the road. They were getting off their, you know, getting off, getting out of their stance quicker. Um, whereas now, you know, you reintroduce noise, you have potential for more offensive holding, potential for more kind of just some general, uh, you know, bog down the offense, false starts. You know, like the offensive attrition from a penalty standpoint, and that the the general effect we may see. From the reintroduced, you know, reintroducing crowds is less. Oh, we're back to two and a half, three points of home field advantage on average. Into oh no, scoring is more like twenty eighteen now. Does that does that hold any weight whatsoever, Andy? I'll let you 
you go first. Well, no, and I just I'll probably just redirect to Suma and I'll I'll follow up with after what he says. But I wanted to add to that too is I think I don't think we were on the fan boat. I think we were on the oh my god, they're not gonna call holding for anything. Yeah, right. right. Like right. these, I, yeah. I I think right away we pivoted to like yeah, fans certainly again hard to quantify something like that. Like Suma said, it's it is a little more subjective, but it's one of those subjective, unquantifiable things that you know is true. Like for sure, being quiet and be able to communicate with your offense easier is going to be better for offense by how much we don't know. But the holding, I mean, it was painfully apparent. Like how they were calling holding and then pass interference on both sides of the ball. It's like oh my god, they want. They want 60, 70 points a game all of a sudden. It just felt that way. And, I mean, people did kind of flesh out that. I think Pozzola put some numbers to that right away and said, like, here's, you know, here's actual empirical evidence showing, like, offensive holdings not getting called very much. And, I mean, how – we don't talk about that because everyone wants to bring up all the fumble going through the end zone, which we brought up yesterday, is the ultimate (laughs) – the ultimate – penalty really but like uh pass interference on defense being a spot foul is the most penal in maybe all of sports outside of a red card in soccer but the, really a 10 <laughs> yes. a 10 yard penalty on first down really puts you so far behind the sticks because then it, Auto like, uh, if, yeah. oh, if you talk about like what makes the successful down getting you know what is what is a successful first down again i'm so far out of football was it 50 percent of what you need you need to get uh, five yards on, in first down for success. There's different measures of this. To, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, four yeah, and I think change. It's like, but yeah, to, to really to get to that second and five again, you need three times as many yards on first down. It makes three. It makes first down three times as hard. Like offensive holding is more penal than we think, and not calling that is huge off. You know, huge boost to just not getting to third down. So I think I was big on that. I, I guess I'd like to hear what Suma thought of the. Uh, not only the the explosion in scoring, but what he thinks this year will happen. Yeah, uh, what you mentioned, I think Rob put together some of those charts early early in the year, and they were they were simply not um, calling holding, and there were some film guys who were consistently um, showing clips of all those holdings that were <laughs> happening, but the refs were just not throwing a flag, and um, they they also didn't call I think pass interference as frequently early in the season, and then we had a shift I think after a third of the season, some, something like that, where they were calling more aggressively. Um, what I wanted to add was that I also think that over the past few years, there were some great articles, I think, about the Bucks in 2018, for example, where teams are putting a lot more emphasis on traveling, where they hire um, sleep scientists, um, travel scientists, ju- just people who make it, as comfortable as possible for teams to go on the road. They were, they are um, suddenly adjusting their flight times and all that kind of stuff. So I think this is this is probably also a tiny little factor. Um, but we have to assume that crowd noise will have a small impact. I just don't believe that we can say crowd noise is just noise. I think that we generally overvalue the crowd I think um, crowd will be rocking guy was always high on that. But I think that we in general in the past have overvalued crowd noise. But I still think that there is some tiny signal to crowd noise, especially when we are talking about the, I don't know, Superdome or the. Yeah, uh, indoors. Sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah, Minnesota got brought up any of the domes, a couple of the just 
really good, you know, crowd. Honestly, Buffalo. Buffalo's Buffalo, a good crowd. Yeah. I mean, Seattle, so, generally. Seattle's some of the, some of those teams are good crowds. Yeah. I, I do wonder about, you know, Vegas now that they're, you know, it, it was a weird timing for them. They got their team and then it became, oh, well, we don't actually get to have anyone in the stadium. Like, but, and maybe somebody who follows hockey more can speak to this. It felt like, man, there were some shitty hockey crowds. I mean, the team was good and the city got behind <laughs> them, but it's like that that's just the ultimate in an excuse to go to an away game. Like I knew so many hockey fans are like, well, I'm going to a wild game in Vegas. Like why, what a perfect reason to talk my wife into letting me go to Vegas for a weekend. I was just going to go catch the hockey game. Oh yeah, probably probably no gambling or drinking. Just we love hockey so much. And you did see that a lot where it turned into like and it'll be interesting to see because God, I know San Diego is an awesome spot and a great travel spot too, but like uh we saw that in, in San Diego towards the end a little and really in LA when they get to that soccer stadium. That remember that Pittsburgh game for the Chargers? That was awful. Was like, I'm like, why do all the Chargers fans have terrible towels? This is bad. <laughs> like the, there are some fan bases that just don't show up as well, and that'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah no, I agree with that. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I mean, I think you're going to have to take a very, very careful approach <laughs> to home field advantage, particularly starting the season. I think you have to take a very careful approach to total betting earlier this season, too. I think, in general, the holding – the way that holding has been called through one week of preseason, I felt like it was pretty aggressive, honestly. Um, you know, we, it, it, was obvi- it was obviously a well-talked-about uh, run for the unders in week one of preseason. Uh, I would like to see the statistics on offensive holding for the first units and second units just out of curiosity because just the handful of clips that I saw and handful of game action that I caught – I was like, boy, they're aggressively calling holding again, uh, which, you know, obviously is an auto under for, you know, the early part of the season. Um, I guess another macro trend I was curious to get Suma's take on. We have a consolidation of power going on in the AFC relative to the NFC. The NFC, you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and a bunch of other teams. The AFC, you have the Chiefs clearly at the top, followed closely by the Bills, Ravens, and Browns, who we've already talked about. You can make a case that you have up-and-coming teams with some of these young quarterbacks as well in the AFC, uh, in the Chargers, uh, maybe the Dolphins. Uh, you know, maybe you know, maybe the Titans hand- don't fall off the you know don't no, fall off. Yeah, you know, it, yeah. It depends enough. how that offense looks. Close enough. But in general, like if you just look at the drafts over the last three or four years, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, uh, Max Jones, uh, Joe Burrow, Tua, Herbert. I mean, almost all of these top tier QB ones in the first round have landed in the AFC (laughs) on top of the guys that we talked about from 2018. Maker, you know, Baker Mayfield hit. Uh, you know, he, you know, the the Lamar Jackson was a hit. Josh Allen was a hit. Um, how do we take this information of the AFC being potentially substantially stronger from top to bottom relative to the NFC and help provide the reasonable context as we go through this season? Have you, have you thought about this at all? And do you I guess do you agree that we are seeing sort of this huge imbalance of power where all the good teams are in the AFC all of a sudden? I'm just looking uh, staring at my power rating and I have like a pretty wide distribution in the AFC. So there are like the four, let's say four teams at the top 
um, Chiefs, Ravens, uh, Bills, and I also consider the Browns pretty good. But after that, there is a decent gap towards, let's say, the middle of the pack in the AFC. And um, it's very, very interesting. We had like a decade of um, the Patriots in the AFC and nobody else. And then we had a very strong NFC all the time. Let's say early 2010s, we also had Manning and the Broncos. But for the most part, it was pretty much top heavy in the AFC with one good team. And now it's like you said, it's completely shifted. So that makes it very interesting. And yeah, as you mentioned, we have Timber Lawrence, we have Mac Jones and all of those guys, Zach Wilson, maybe two eyes good. We don't know. Um, so that's that's a pretty heavy shift. Maybe the better way to phrase the question is, how does Tom Brady do this? Yeah, he goes to the NFC. So, to be honest, I think that this was probably still the most underrated part of the last season, just how well Tom Brady played, because it was just not the dink and dunk Patriots offense. We, he had the, I think, highest average depth of throw in the entire NFL, and he was slinging it down the field. It was completely... It was ridiculous, and I think that was probably still very underrated for how he played last year. Yeah, how about the bottom of your power rankings? Because my 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 NFC power rankings, there are a lot of bad teams. Uh, as I look towards the bottom, it's a lot of NFC names, honestly. And you know, the this imbalance of power should create, you know, if you if you, okay, as we sit here and we look at the futures market for the season. It's not a surprise that the Chiefs are expected to do well. It's not a surprise that the Bucks are expected to do well, right? But the way you make money betting the futures market preseason is finding those teams that exceed expectations by a decent amount, right? There will be some teams that overshoots their win total by four and five games. I think that because we have a lot more knowns about who's good and who's not good in the AFC relative to the NFC, that your surprises are probably going to be in the NFC. Is that number one? Is that a fair assessment? And then number two, who would you kind of tag as teams to watch? Yeah, I think so because for a team in the AFC to overperform like for four, four and five wins, we have like at least one of the top four to play badly, or let's say we we need some quarterback injuries in the AFC so that I think middle of the pack teams can really make some noise. Um, Right now, I think that the the um, power in the in the AFC is so crazily distributed that I don't really see a lot of options for middling teams to do very well and surprise us all, unless we have like an injury to Patrick Mahomes early in the season or Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. So, um, for example, Bills in the AFC East, I think it can only take a injury to Josh Allen in order for any other team to come really close to them. Um, yeah, in the agreed. in the NFC, I'm extremely high still um, against the market on the Falcons. Um, I think Fel the Falcons, I love Arthur Smith. I think that uh, Matt Ryan and that combination of Calvin Whitley, who is running insane routes against the first ring uh, Dolphins cornerbacks uh, today. Um, <laughs> Kyle Pitts, I think they have a not good offensive line, but I think they can be close to average. Uh, and I think that will be enough for Arthur Smith to orchestrate a top 10 passing attack. Um, and I think what what's like really what underrated, yeah. Um, and I think what's really underrated about the Falcons is that their defense is bad, 
really bad on paper. However, they have a defensive coordinator who knows what he's doing. Dean Pease is coming out of retirement. And when he was coaching the Titans, the Titans had a bad defense over the past couple of years, but they were pretty much average when he was coaching them because he is blitzing from all areas on the field. He's calling DB blitzes. He's calling crazy fire zone blitzes. He's doing whatever he can to make opposing quarterbacks uncomfortable, especially on third down. And I think when you have a a combination of a top 10 offense, maybe, and a defense, let's say, like the Chiefs last year, where we don't have great personnel, (laughs) but someone like Steve Spags, who is calling some exotic blitzes, and that's just enough when you can play from in front, I think the Falcons can really surprise us all next year. And I see them as a borderline playoff team. I love this. I love it. And that was hoping you were going to go there. I didn't know you were. Um, but let me ask you a couple specific we, questions. We had about another Arthur one, too. Smith. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's take let another. Let me, let let me, yeah, I'll bring up another team after we talk to the Falcons. The Titans overachieved last year to a degree. Uh, one of the handful of head-to-head wins I got against Suma, actually, was the Titans winning the South. He was on the Colts. I was on the Titans to begin the season. And I don't even really know if that was the right, <laughs> if I was right or wrong, but they win. So whatever. Um, the uh, But Ultimately, you know, they had a, they had some cluster injuries on offensive line last year in Tennessee. Mm. They had a lot of replacement players that took a lot of meaningful snaps for that Tennessee Titans offensive line last year, and it didn't really impact their offense whatsoever. Didn't yeah. in fact, it didn't impact Derrick Henry's performance whatsoever. Um, was you know, and I guess can we give? Is it fair to give Arthur Smith credit for that, or was that more of just a Tannehill and the way he operates? Uh, you know, is this on? Was it on the quarterback, or can we give the the offensive coordinator some shine in that exact same vein the titans were a were a bottom two or three red zone team when arthur smith took over and he made them a number a, a number one <laughs> red zone team overnight okay was it something that he was doing specifically in terms of his concepts in the red zone? Or again, is was it more related to the personnel and the quarterback play in Tennessee? Because this affects two this is this affects hugely how you view Tennessee and Atlanta this year. If you take the guy that was responsible for all of their red zone success and you put him on a team in Atlanta who was miserable in the red zone under uh, the previous regime. So, you know, that one, if, if we're right, if Arthur Smith is bringing uh, competent offensive line play out of replacement level players and red zone efficiency with him to Atlanta, like this, this could be way mispriced, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think for, for, the, for the Titans, it was, uh, it was basically a sum of all, so to speak. But I think that I would give Arthur Smith a, huge amount of credit for that i think i think ryan Tannehill, he has never been a really bad quarterback he, he had some really flashes in miami he was I, I think he had like one really terrible season so we could say that Tannehill was maybe like a below average quarterback and i think the, the combination of a great scheme they had the highest rate of play action last season and play action rocks um i think Tannehill had like three yards per pass more on play action attempts as he had on straight dropbacks. Um, they had a solid uh, sk- skill position group with um, Adrian Brown, Corey Davis, and John o. Smith. And I think um, that Arthur Smith just perfectly put everything into the right place. So 
Um, I think it was in March or April, there was a very cool article on The Athletic about Arthur Smith. They interviewed him and as Smith basically said the, that his philosophy is be as aggressive and um, try to catch the defense on their heels as aggressively as possible. So he said that he wants to do things that the opposing defense is not expecting in possibly every situation. So they had like um, three sp specific outside zone runs and two play action bootlegs off of that. And then on the third play action boot off of that, where it's the same formation, the same look, he will just pull a different guy from the offensive line and the opposing defense is not knowing what to do. And I think that's really elite coaching. And I think it will take over really well in Atlanta as long as Matty Ice is not um, dying when throwing yeah, down. can't die. Yeah, and that, that's the biggest thing. You know, there, there was a bit of a knock on Art Smith from, honestly, I don't want to say people that just don't know what the hell they're talking about, but I, I can see where they're coming from. So, well, he had, you know, he had Derrick Henry and, it wasn't, and Eric Henry actually had a lot of yardage last year, but they used him in an efficient manner. That would, you know, the whole people that push back on analytics and say, well, you guys said running backs don't matter. No, running backs matter plenty. Having a really good, we just named a bunch of teams we like, and they have really good running backs, like Cleveland, uh, Baltimore's running game. It's used efficiently. It works right. Like just using using running when it's non-efficient, running into eight, ten-man boxes, stupid stuff like that, running on second and long, you know, r running when it's not optimal, and then running out of running formations too. Like you just said, the biggest thing, and we've seen that with like, especially going back to Lamar, like a lot of Lamar's best runs are like spread formations. Like, hey, here's, yeah. here's, here's four wide receivers. What do you think we're going to do? Well, we're going to pass. Well, and then Lamar's down the field for 16 yeah. yards, down the, the sideline. Like, the, the minute the backfield turns their back on him, he's gone. Yeah, and, right. that, and it's stupid. It's like how play action, we've explained this before, but play action, you could have you know one of my kids out there running back, and play action would still work. Like just the the – the little twitch it takes because you see him, the quarterback turn his back to you and pretend to hand the ball off. Like it stops you for a second, no matter if the running game is good or not, like misdirection and you know, whatever else you want to call it, trying to fool them that will always work. And that's, that's what I love so much about Arthur Smith. And, you know, even I, I'm glad, I'm almost glad they don't have a good running back because I think they have enough receivers to really turn this into like a serious aerial assault. And, you know, he'll still be able to use all the play action, the pre-snap motion, misdirection, misdirection, and, you know, disguising things. That's the biggest thing. I love that. And I'm, I'm very hopeful that you're right. And I think the biggest point you hit on goes back to something that, uh, and the numbers aren't as good this year. And I think that's partially his fault, but our friend plus EV analytics, Matt there, his article about, you know, some of these, alt win totals if you really think you've found a team that can because there are going to be teams i mean drew what was it how many teams land within one or two games of their win total it was oh, not it's like many. less than eight it's like less than eight yeah it was it was like yeah it was like a quarter of the league will actually be close to their win total if you think you found a team find a way to bet them on an alt win total maybe because they if you're right they're likely 
going to, you know, improve by three, four games over a win total. And you can make some, you can make some series and, or even, you know, Dutch it as far as, you know, I'll play their win total for a bit. I'll play the alt win total for a bit, get some staggered winnings. So you just, the, the writer you are, the more right you are, the more money you can make on being right on something like that. I, I do, I do think the Falcons are a case for that, even though they are in a tough division. Dude, what a great segue. Cause I had this specific question for Suma. If we have a misprice on a team, if we if we see the market is mispricing a team like the Falcons, for instance, we'll just use them as an example. Uh, what are the trade-offs between playing them on a win total bet to the over, which is a season-long bet and locks up bankroll for five months, it feels like, <laughs> versus betting them game by game to start the season and scooping that value in multiple, you know, being able to to a get more down. B, you know, do it in a way that uh, you can repeat and roll over your winnings accordingly. I mean, you know, do you do you at all think of a team like the Falcons and think if they surprise early, if they look good early, if this offense is clicking early, the market will be on it, right? We're not going to get a lot of bites at the apple. Or do you think of it more as, okay, people have gotten so burned by the Falcons for so many years, they're going to need to see it for many weeks before they really believe it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in the end, it's the Falcons, and I I was listening to the PFF forecast today, and um, Eric Eager said like, you will never lay more than three with the Falcons again. Oh, exactly, exactly <laughs> that kind of thought process, right? Like, does that does that give you does that change your opinion of well, rather than going super heavy on their win total over seven and a half, or even their alt win total eight and a half? I'm going to save my bolt, my powder, and I'm just going to bet them week in, week out because it's going to take a while for the general market makers to have the stones to get in bed with this team considering what they've done to them over the last couple of years. I think I, I will try to find a good mix. Like um, It depends on how you can bet futures. If you can bet some futures on, on credit, it's a completely different discussion. Oh, okay. Sure. So... I would not want to tie my money. Well, I, I would not. I would not tie up a lot of money for futures, to be honest. But um, I would probably look to bet some Falcons, uh, Falcons on futures. Division. It was a very good price during the spring, but it was also a price because the Bucks are so superior over them, and I think it takes a Brady injury for the Falcons to come close to winning that division. But I think that. If you can grab some um, solid um, numbers on the win total over, alternate win total over, maybe grab a little bit of that division price. Um, maybe Matt Ryan MVP, which was 100 to 1 in March oh, or April. Um, and Art then Smith combine coach it. of the year. <laughs> 25 to 1. <laughs> yes, Arthur Smith coach of the year. Um, and then early in the season, in you will realize, yeah, you, you will just realize if you are above market on the Falcons and then you still have some great opportunities to bet them on a, on a week to week basis. Um, maybe they suck in week one against the Eagles, then it becomes even better. Ah, uh, don't get my hopes up. <laughs> <laughs> that was, and that was one of the other teams that, uh, we'd kind of talked about a little in the off season. And now, especially from what I've seen in camp, I'm less excited. I know some, some smarter people, some people I've talked to, some people I listen to, and we even brought up a little that like Sirianni coach of the year isn't the dumbest bet because the just the 
the last time we saw the so well, yeah, the last time we saw the Eagles, they were you know losing a game hilariously on purpose. And at this point, with the the house cleaning and starting over with a, a young quarterback, probably, and just to, you know what what they've become since their Super Bowl run, like the expectations are low, and it's a division that could be ripe for the taking again. I'm I might be off that. What have you? You know they're gonna play. They play tonight, and I haven't heard great things about Hurts coming out of camp right now. And camp is usually pretty rosy. Like you know they bullshit us. Where it's like I oh, threw he threw a pick, but he had two really nice passes to the running back right after that. Like well, yeah, I can make those. Like they always try to they always try to cheer you up when they're talking bad about your players. Good, not great news out of Jets camp today, by the way. As a Jets Man. fan, there. <laughs> Shoot me, please. <laughs> yes, that's comes comes with being a Jets fan. But I mean, yeah. Do you have a? I mean, just the, I guess the entire NFC East in general. Like we we kind of ran through that, and it's like, yeah, the Cowboys' offense should be good, but we said that last year, and it, obviously, cluster injuries are impossible to predict. And then uh, Washington starting over with a super old quarterback, the Giants. On, and the Giants and Eagles are not that dissimilar. Like, hey, we have some decent pieces on defense, and we really don't know what we have at quarterback right now. So I'm, that that's the one where, you know, I don't know if there is a team that's, like, going to really, really outperform their expectations this year unless it's one of the lower-end teams that's like, okay, we can be good again, you know, like, like an Eagles. Like, I guess they're all kind of lower-end teams, really, outside of how people think of the Dallas offense. I think that the Eagles probably have the widest range of potential outcomes. Um, yeah, they I have agree. a, I would call it a top five, top six offensive line. Um, they have an incredible right side. They could plug in Landon Dickerson at left guard, which could be an upgrade right away. Then they have that Australian left tackle, whose name I forgot, uh, who had some really good reports out of training camp, who was uh, getting first team reps. John Mailata. My later something like that, um, and then I think it, it entirely depends on the development of um, Jalen Hurts. Usually, quarterbacks tend to get a lot better in their second years. Uh, Devonte Smith was killing it in a practice camp early. They still have a, one of the better tight end tandems in the league. Um, Quez Watkins is a guy they could maybe use in in a very variety of ways, like on screens, um, um, drag routes, um, sweeps, and stuff like that, and I think because of their offense, they really have a wide range of outcomes. So it's entirely possible that Jalen Hurts completely stinks and he doesn't improve as a passer at all. So they could have like the 29th offense in EPA per play. But it's also in the range of outcomes that they have like a top five running game with all those um, option runs where Jalen Hurts is the 11th guy the defense has to defend. Um, and they maybe find some ways to incorporate RPOs, play action stuff, and really can be a average passing attack. So I think if they are able to achieve that, then the Eagles might be in to exceed expectations. But it's really a wide range of outcomes. I, th I think everything between the 10th overall offense, which is a small probability, and the 30th is probably much in play. So what does Philadelphia Atlanta close total wise week one 51? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a five at the, at the first digit. Okay. 
I feel like we've kind of, I've talked myself into that position just through this conversation. Um, I was eyeing it, but I was a little, I've been a little gun shy to play overs just because. Um, yeah, we said it earlier in the show. We were looking at yeah. early season unders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, right. you can't just play them blindly. Uh, I know it. Yeah. Um, I already played that, uh, your New York Jets over. Let's talk about the Jets and some, and some rookie quarterbacks real quick. Um, Jets look like a team that are going to surprise offensively as well. We're, we're kind of on this scene here. Uh, you subtract an Adam Gaze and you add a, a human being with a pulse, you immediately upgrade your scheme. We know that. Yes. Uh, on top of that, it looks like Zach Wilson has all the tools to succeed at the NFL level. And they have populated a team around him that can protect his blind side. And they have added weapons to a, uh, what was previously a team that had virtually no realistic ways to create offense. Um, Corey Davis, obviously. Keelan Cole, obviously. Uh, on top of the drafting of Elijah Moore, uh, who's you know had a nice start to camp. Um, do you have an expectation that this Jets team will overperform offensively? And considering the potential loss of a Carl Lawson and a defense that's not going to have anyone good in the coverage, um, are the Jets an over team? Oh, yes, for sure. I think that we could grab some really great total numbers early in the season with the Jets. I mean, Quinn Williams hasn't practiced since, I think, April or March in early OTAs. Shelled rankings went down today. Carl Lawson went down today, which doesn't sound like he will be back in week one. You have arguably the worst cornerback group in the in the entire league. You basically only have one solid co- uh, player in the secondary. Uh, you have CJ Mosley, who, ha- who hasn't played for two years now. Um, I think the defense could really, really stink, like bottom three kind of defense without a pass rush. Um, and it depends on Zach Wilson. I think the same applies for the for the Jets. I have a very low prior on them, extremely low prior. But I will happily adjust early in the season. Don't have any issues with that. But um, right now, they really look like the, the the offense has to score like 30 points a game to to grab some Ws. Honestly, Andy, this is this is my favorite bet for week one, and it's not close. Over yeah. 43 in Carolina versus the Jets. You're only going to get one chance in your entire life to bet the Adam Gase effect on both sides of the football. <laughs> That's, I mean, we don't know. Like, he'll still get jobs. It's the NFL. Nepotism <laughs> is built in. But I mean, yeah, we we talked about that. I think we I think we might have talked about this game during both the Jets and the Carol and the Carolina one. Like, it just it again it feels low. And if if this defense is gonna if the if the only good thing really that they brought into this defense one of two good things is not gonna be around this defense really really might stink. This is like I wonder if they have comeback player of the year up throughout the season. I'm not sure if that's a market that gets put put up week in and week out. It might just be preseason. Because that's one where it's like, okay, now we can. You should have Darnold now, and then you can sell out and sell by picking up somebody else the next week. Because Darnold legitimately might look like, might look pretty good. So funny. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm there with you. I think we're pretty, pretty much in agreement on this. And then, yeah, I, I hate to be like, hey, injuries, but the if the if the Lawson thing is serious enough where he's not playing, it's 
I mean, that's just cherry on top. And I think this total should probably creep to the other side of 45. You know, here's the thing about Darnold. We don't know, really. Suma's probably watched more Darnold than we have. So we should probably defer to his opinion here. But I want to blame a lot of this on Gase. A lot of it. And putting him with Joe Brady, you're going to get a better play out of him, period. Um, You know, there's... Joe Burrow, obviously, married with Joe Brady, became a Heisman-winning quarterback when he entered the season with a prior that was like college football average, right? And I would expect that you're going to get better. You know, and, and, oh, by the way, he's got a great set of weapons. You know, this wide receiver core, assuming it stays healthy, of course, DJ Moore went down today too, but that's beside the point. Um, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, these guys rock. Like, those are great wideouts, and especially for this system. So um, I Here's definitely Marshall. think that. Carolina, Ter- oh, Terrence, I forgot about Terrence Marshall. He's looking outstanding. Yeah, um, yeah so this is a, a group that is going to be able to pass the football, in my opinion, um, especially earlier in the season, going up against some soft secondaries. You get Jets week one. You get, you get Saints week two. Saints, is Lattimore suspended? I'm guessing he is, but I don't know that for sure. Um, they don't have a second quarterback, cornerback anyway. Uh, you get Houston week three. You get Dallas week four. You get Philly week five. That is five straight passing defenses that you can absolutely get separation against. And yeah, the Panthers offensive line holds up. Darnold's going to look real, real, real good come the middle of October when all of a sudden he's going to go up against some tougher passing defenses like the Giants and the Patriots. Um, so it's going to be really fun to bet the Panthers this year, both ways, I think, to, to outperform expectation scoring-wise early and then to come back hard against them when they go up against the likes of the Giants and the Pats. Um, are you with me that the Giants are a top-five potential defense? I think they... Lofty. Top 10? They have some yeah. really... Inch- I think top 10 is probably possible, but I think they have some really great pieces on the secondary and somehow Dave Gellman, I don't know how he did it, but he somehow signed some really good players. Um, yeah. They have a, they are basically a three deep at safety, James Bradbury, Adoree Jackson, a great scheme from Patrick Graham. I, I really think that Graham will be one of the hottest coaching candidates um, next January. But what what concerns me is that they might switch to more man coverage this year because he thinks that he has the, the cornerbacks. In their first preseason game, he played a lot more man than he did last year. I think last year they were like the heaviest zone teams in the league. They didn't blitz a lot. He, he just tried to confuse opposing quarterbacks with lots of stunts and stuff like that and crazy looks up front. Basically, every snap, they have a different look. Um, but they still don't really have that pass rushing quality on their defensive line. So I think that it's it's a unit that has some really intriguing pieces, but a lot of things have to go right for them is probably what, I, what I'm thinking. And they, they need okay. Patrick Graham to scheme the hell out of it. Well, he's going to have a lot of chances because they have Jason Garrett coordinating the other side of the football. So um, they're going to be putting a lot of dicey situations. Uh, okay. Uh, I want to go back real quick to rookie quarterbacks. Um, the offensive rookie of the year market is going to be the Wild West this year. It is going to be overreaction city every week, week in, week out. There is no doubt in my mind this is a quarterback award this year, and oh, yeah. you are probably best off just getting the best possible price on all five of these guys. I was just going to say last down. night when you spoke <laughs> about the Ravens, we, we were fine. We were actually fine. Anyone who hasn't watched yesterday's, we were fine adding the Ravens as a Super Bowl team later on after of they course. get through the first part of the season. 
And Drew had the plan. He has he has a group of teams already that he plans on trying to create, you know, a, a negative margin by picking them off at the right time, whether it be preseason or not. I think there's probably I don't know if all five have a shot, but I there's probably a decent chance that I'll have rookie of the year bets on at least three of these quarterbacks at certain points in the season. And I'm kind of mapping that out too. I, I mean, just between the three of us, is there any, is there with this many quarterbacks that are going to get this much opportunity, which is number one, number one on the ingredient list on the back of the can of rookie of the year's opportunity for there even to be a chance for a running back or a wide receiver to be like, it would have to be all, such an yeah. outlier season. All five have to suck. Yeah, it would be very, very difficult with the amount of opportunity they'll get. All five have to get the chance to play a lot and suck in order yeah. for it to go to a non-quarterback. Because if four of them suck, then the fifth guy is going to get it. Yeah, he gets it. <laughs> so, hey, you yeah, win. It is, exactly. Uh, Suma, what have you seen so far? Uh, I guess, are you enjoying sort of the, the narrative around the rookie quarterbacks that is sort of dominating the preseason coverage? Or do you think this is a bunch of nonsense? It's probably lots of nonsense, and we were overreacting like shit last weekend. <laughs> but it was also so much fun, fun. to finally watch some, some preseason football again and watch some really exciting rookies take the field. So I really enjoyed it, even though the overreactions were, were, were pretty heavy on Monday morning. Um, I think that Trey Lance is probably in the best situation because he's playing on the best team with the best coach. Yep. Um they have the best set of skill position players since Kyle Shannon has arrived. And I think that I think it's 50, 50, whether he or Garoppolo starts start in week one, but I don't think that will take very long for Lance to take over. And then we have the potential of like a, let's say um, 800 rushing yards, um, seven rushing touchdowns, um, 20 passing touchdowns kind of season. Um, with a team that will, I'm very high on the 49ers. I also bet them to win the division back in May, I think. Um, with a team that's most likely going to win double digit, double digit games. And that should be the, I think, best narrative for all those offensive rookie of the year voters, in my opinion. Because I think Trevor Lawrence will play a lot from behind. He won't be on a, on a good team, I think. I think the Jacks have a wide range of outcomes because that division is bad. And there's there's a chance that the Colts won't have a quality a starting quarterback this year. Titans might suck and regress in some areas. The, the Texans might go 0-17. Uh, so the Jacks have a wide range of outcomes. <laughs> but I think the, the situation and the environment that Trey Lance is in is so much better. There's such a huge gap to us, the other guys. I think that I think yesterday I saw eight to one for him uh, for the rookie of mm. the year. Um, I think that's a pretty solid grab because that's, I, that's where I hope I hope he doesn't start. Like I hope he doesn't start the season because you want a better number. Because <laughs> I want a better. Because I agree with everything Suma said. Like out of the five teams, like they're the team probably with the best chance to have a good record, make the playoffs as a wild card, and build the narrative that way. But if he doesn't play week one and you get the presumptive favorite going up against the Texans, go light them up, then everybody's number gets better as, I mean, even if they all five start week one, 
like I would think after week one, you still get a worse number than before week one on Trevor Lawrence, just because of the matchup and the fact that you get to play the Texans right off the bat. I mean, the Jets, the Jets one, I guess it could be a decent showing against Carolina, especially if it's an over game and you, know, you can't play defense just because they gave up, you know, a bunch to Darnold. Does that's not on Mr. Wilson. So a couple of decent matchups week one. I don't think field starts the season because of just how Chicago is the hand they've been dealt and how they got to do things to keep their jobs is kind of forcing them to like, Hey, let's play Andy for a couple weeks. And then we can be the heroes who, Hey, we brought fields in now. Like we're going to save the season guys. I don't know who, who decided to start Andy Dalton. That was dumb. We're here now, but yeah, like <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't have a good read on San Fran. I think Mac I don't might really start, man. If Mac Jones looks good tonight, I think you might close the book on that competition. Yeah, I could see that too. Uh, and I'm nervous too. I mean, I Lance is so obviously the correct decision. They have an extended preseason because they got back-to-back East Coast games against the Lions and the Eagles. They get to stay at the Greenbrier in between, so they basically get a whole extra mm-hmm. week of camp that no one else gets. Use that to develop your guy, man. Get him out there early. Don't, you know, don't fiddle fuck around with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo this year. But at the same time, like so many parts of the process of drafting Lance in the first place up to this point of starting have been like, it feels like they're kind of playing it by ear, right? I mean, it feels like they're making this up as they go, doesn't it? And the thing is too, like, if I'm running any of these franchises, if I'm a fan of these franchises, I want all these rookies playing all four quarters of every preseason game and starting week one. Like I want to see course, what they yeah. can do. Like, but I, I really don't with the, you know, three of these franchises it would, if cam played, wouldn't surprise me. And he's going to play. If Garoppolo started the season, wouldn't surprise me. We don't know what we're doing. It's a big jump from, you know, where he played up to NFL right off the bat. They might want to ease him in. I'm not sure. They've been a little clandestine in nature, especially before the draft and stuff. They they are good at they're at putting good at putting information out there that isn't always true. So here's here's the thing. I'm not sure what happens. Here's the thing. There the the club of teams that can win the Super Bowl this year is small. It's elite. It is an elite group who can realistically win the Super Bowl this year. If you are starting a first-year quarterback this year, you're not winning the Super Bowl. You're not going. You're not going to win three playoff games. You're not going to win. You know, a Super Bowl on the road. You know, it's not happening. So, at this, you need to get as much information as possible about your rookie quarterback as soon as possible, so that you can make correct decisions about what to do with his rookie contract and the rest of your roster around him. Um, and so there's really like, even if you can, even if you say, well, it's not fair to throw fields out there against the Rams week one and the Browns week three with that terrible offensive line. Yeah. He's probably going to look bad, but you need to see how he performs under pressure. <laughs> like that's, yeah. there's yeah. two sides of that coin. Uh, and same thing for Mac Jones, Cam Newton's not winning you an AFC East bill. He's not, uh, Mac Jones might not either, but you need to find out if he can win you an AFC East next year or the year or, after that, or, or the year after that. Something different, yeah. Or do you need to do something different? Um, and making, yeah, I mean, making decisions is based on the information you have. And if you yeah. sit him half a season, you have you less information. Tua, I mean, look what the Dolphins decision. did with Tua last year. Tua got no reps in all of preseason because of his injury. And they and they were a team that could have gotten a playoff spot, could have gotten their reps, some playoff, you know, their, their yeah. Uh, they took Fitzpatrick out when he was playing well. 
they took yes because they needed proud, to see so proud of them. they needed to see it they needed to see it and brian flores did an amazing job of managing egos in the locker room in the in that situation uh but that was the right way to do things and i think these other franchises will eventually get there i just don't have a ton of confidence that they're there yet which is frustrating so yeah rookie of the year market the, is going to be wild have you read the um athletic article from robert mace on ryan fitzpatrick if no, not, no. I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> uh, Mace visited him, him at his house in Arizona and he was talking about all his last um, um, teams and um, he and Chen Gali were interviewed and Chen Gali basically said that there was no plan for Tua to start at all. They, they didn't even have an offense for, for Tua when Flowers decided to go with Tua. They, they basically just had the bye week to get anything going on offense that fits his strength. There was no plan to start him at all. Crazy. Wow. And quickly back to Trey Lance. What I, I mean, we can't overreact to preseason and practice reports. We just cannot. Yeah. But I mean, Zach Wilson are up and downs. Eleven of twenty-seven in the scrimmage. Uh, Justin Fields throwing some nice balls. Trevor Lawrence looking solid. Blah blah blah. And with Trey Lance, I mean. If you just check Matt Lombardi's beat writer of the Niners, when you check his timeline, he said that they have reached a point where Trey Lance against the second string defense was unfair. It was just not <laughs> football anymore. It was just basically someone carving up the whole defense, throwing touchdowns on every second play. And they really said it was unfair. So I have rarely seen these crazy practice reports, to be honest. Okay. Okay. So, got, did you uh, did you fill out the poll uh, that uh, Noops put up of what week everybody starts? No, you didn't. Oh, what's your I'm, guess? What's your what's your guess for? I was gonna I was gonna put that out to Twitter and make them decide for me. What What'd you do? What'd you do, Andy? I didn't fill it. I told him. I'll I tell you my contest. answer. You, you didn't do the contest? Are you serious? Oh, oh come! Oh, that, that's how you get doxxed. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> People aren't going to be able to figure. I, there are a lot of Maulers in Minnesota. That's fair. Um, that's okay. All right. Well, I, I, for the record, I think you see. Um, Do you want my answer? No. For the record, you see Wilson and Lawrence week one. Yep. Uh, you see Lance late. Uh, I think I picked. Uh, well, I'll go to. I'll go with Lance last. I, I, I you're going to see I Fields. Fields, fields week Lance. four. I think you see Fields week four. I think you see Jones week five uh, against Houston after the Tampa Bay embarrassing Debacle. whatever whatever embarrassment happens when Tom Brady goes to Foxborough for his last ever game in Foxborough. Um, you'll you'll see Mac Jones the next week, um, and then uh, San Francisco. I think it's going to be about week eight. I don't think it's going to be early at all. I think they're gonna they're gonna pull the trigger after the bye. Um, Week seven, I'll say the off the bye week seven against Indianapolis is when you see Trey Lance the first time, and yeah. I hope that it's sooner. But I'm just I'm not not getting the feeling that they are moving fast enough there. So, oh well. I, I'd go with Niners last two, and uh, I wasn't I wasn't in this spot a couple weeks ago, or even maybe last week. But I think you might see Mac Jones before you see Justin Fields, which would be. Not how life or the universe should work, but I'm starting to lean that way. Do you want Mac Jones hosting Tom Brady? 
on Sunday Night Football. Week four. Do you think Belichick cares? I think it matters for the development of Mac Jones a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't know if I don't know if he thinks like that though. He's a weird android who doesn't care. He's like, no, Mac Jones needs to be out there. Where uh, he's our guy, and uh, you know he's going to be our starting quarterback now. And uh, you know we're on to we're on to Tampa Bay. Okay. Okay. I would say Mac Jones last. I just okay. don't see how Belichick goes to Mac Jones early in the season. I think that Cam Newton behind a top five offensive line with some weapons and with a with a good defense, I think they can really win some games. And then I just don't see Belichick putting the trigger and um, trotting out Mac Jones for no reason if they're playing well. Uh, yeah, yeah, if they're playing well. And okay. Justin Fields, I think, will also take some time because what Andy said, uh, Bears could have the worst offensive line in the league. They already said, Sam Donald, um, any uh, any Dalton will start in week one, and if he gets crushed, I don't think that you go so quickly to Justin Fields and Trey Lance. I mean, I think 50-50 week one, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him in week one. And Justin Fields is a competitor, but if he sees Andy Dalton take like four sacks and eleven hits in week oh, one, dude, he's just gonna be staring down Allen Robinson and getting sacked. Doesn't he, I mean, doesn't he suddenly develop like a sore hamstring and practice the next week? Like, guys, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm ready yet. Like, I don't want to go do that. I, I yeah. used to play for, last year I played for a good team. This sucks. Yeah, no, he's ready to take the, take the mantle. Yeah, I know. I just, after the first couple of weeks. So, um, okay. Uh, let's put a book. Let's put a, let's close put the a book bow here. On. I was, I was going to say both. the name of the podcast. But, yeah. I, let's close the book on the AFC with the following questions. I have not bet on the Bills or the Chiefs to do anything this year yet. Yet. Uh, even though those are without question as we stand here today, the two best quarterbacks in the conference with the two best coaching stabs generally. Why? <laughs> Why not? They're, they're what am I waiting correctly? For? They're priced correctly. Is that it? Is that they're, all? They're, I think they're priced. I think we made some points on on places we could jump in, and reasons to jump in. But like right now, yeah, I think there's better value on the board. And like, why do we want to tie things up? Have you bet the bills at all, Suma? I bet them no, their division. I was patiently, I, I was patiently waiting for KC to drop to twelve. I think it was 12 and a half plus 120 at Chris a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, man, give me the 12 because I would have fired on the over. Because even though my, I think, simulated number is right there, like 12, 12.3 or something like that. I mean, it's still the, the, the Chiefs and that probably need a Patrick Mahomes injury to not win 14 games, if that makes sense. So that uh, range of the... You know, the, the, the shape of the distribution is so fat and wide to the right side in the double digits. I just think that they need some bad luck to go like 11-6 or something like that. Wait, 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 for the Bills or for the Chiefs? For the, for the Chiefs. Chiefs. Uh, are they going to be the first team to buck the uh, Super Bowl hangover trend? Best. I mean, who's the best losing Super Bowl coach, non Belichick, in the last few years? I guess we got to give McVeigh a bit of a nod. 
No, they went nine and seven the year after they yeah. lost the Super Bowl. They under they on they undershot their win yeah. expectation by a lot. They had the highest. They were the they were yeah, the number one power number heading into that yeah. season, and they undershot. Their oh, I'm saying I'm saying you, you should give him. That's what I'm saying. Like I have a lot of respect for McVeigh, and they still oh, oh, have oh, you're the saying Super best Bowl. Co- oh, 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 they still oh, have yes. the Super Bowl hangover. That's that's that what I'm saying. That was a good coach, a good great, team. That is a still had the hangover. Like, you can't just say point. it's Andy Reid and they won't because yeah, you don't know the that. The Patriots, after lo- losing the Super Bowl, bounced back the following season and won the Super Always. Bowl. But they did so going 11 and five, and they did not make their win total. Um, you have the Falcons coming off of a Super Bowl loss to the Patriots, who Made the playoffs but lost to the Eagles. Um, you had the Panthers coming off of a Super Bowl loss, not make the playoffs. Um, there's been some pretty clear and obvious examples of losing the Super Bowl and not really performing well the following season, although it's been less of a trend lately than it used to be. It used to be like kiss of death. You lost the Super Bowl, you were going to suck the next year. Um, you know, our, our, there's obviously nothing to it other than qualitative speculation. But why are the Chiefs so good that they uh, don't warrant any consideration of regression coming off of a Super Bowl loss? I just think that you can't really predict any regression with an offense unless there are some major injury hits, is what I would say. So all the teams that you have described, we can go back and find some pretty obvious reasons why they might have regressed. I mean. The Rams lost half their offensive line, basically. Um, the Falcons lost Kyle Shanahan. Uh, the Panthers were riding the, like 34 turnovers on defense. And Cam was just like the ninth best passer that year. But we are just talking about the best offense in football that got better in the offseason because they have a at least top 10 offensive line this year. I would probably make the case that they have the best offensive line uh, since Patrick Mahomes took his first uh, regular season snap. It's not a bet you want to look back on and be like, I just bet against maybe the best quarterback we might ever see. I'm like, betting against them. I'm just curious why. No, no we well, if you take, so... if you say, if you say I want to bet on the regression, you're betting a season win total under, I would suppose, or sure. or, or betting on other teams who win the Super Bowl. There's different ways to go about it, but like if you did take that route and say, well, I think they end up with 11 wins then because of some regression, and you look back on it when they're like 10 and one or something, you're like, oh, I bet against that guy. Like that was dumb. <sighs> Not yeah, I it just with. With a, an improved offensive line and the geniuses that are putting that offense together and executing it, I'm not interested in that. If if they regress, they regress. I, I don't see a high enough probability of it to put money on it on a 50-50, like a win total. What was your major takeaway of why the Chiefs ultimately were not a covering, a bet-on team to cover down the home stretch last year? and? Obviously, they lost the Super Bowl for some very specific reasons that are well understood. Um, but they only scored nine points. Yeah, those, those injuries, especially the one in the AFC title game, that sucked. Like, that sucked. Because I think just from a fan standpoint, we should have had a better game. And, you know, the, the improvement on the offensive line should take care of a lot of that. But, yeah, the, the non-covering thing, I didn't really have an explanation for that, man. They were just I, – I think they don't care. Like uh, Andy Reid doesn't care if you win by 10 or three when the last touchdown is not really putting you in danger. Like, it's not like, Oh man, now they're only up by three and there's 10 minutes left. It's like, Oh, they're up by three and they have the ball and they're just going to run out, run it out again. 
Why is everybody make such a big deal about the Browns winning one score games when the Chiefs were one score game winning machines? And and one score games need context. Like I just said, you know, one score games where you kicked a field goal to win by two with no time on the clock. And it was from 55 yards. is not the same as you winning by six with a team scoring a meaningless touchdown as time expired. You know, the, the context needs to go there. And I don't think we have, you know, all of it in front of us. But a lot of those Chiefs games were well in hand that they won by one score. Saints game, so, for example. Yeah, Suma, are, is Andy Reid calling the good plays against the good teams and calling the shit plays against the bad teams? Saving the good plays for the good teams? Uh, so, yes, especially when we saw that Ravens game last year in week three, I guess. <gasps> Where oh we God. saw some really wild stuff at the goal line. But what I wanted to add is that I think that the Chiefs had one specific problem last season, and that was that they could not run to save their lives on short downs. So yeah. on third and fourth and medium or more, so obvious passing downs on third or fourth down, they were like, I think, the first or, or, or best, best or second best team in the league in terms of efficiency. But on third and short or fourth and short, they were 21st, I think, in DBA. So they could not run the ball. A major part was that their offensive line could not block very well on those short downs. Uh, short downs. And now, during the offseason, they just said, fuck it all. We are going to grab four new offensive linemen, all pulling guys, basically guys that come out of a gap scheme, they were running tons of, tons of zone runs until last season. And now they are going to switch to a gap run scheme with lots of pulling guys. And I also read a nice article. I don't know who it was, but someone explained that um, if you use RPOs with a pulling guard, so with a gap scheme instead of a zone scheme, it makes it harder for, for linebackers to read the player and to read his keys because um, when you see a pulling blocker, it's tougher to assume that it's actually going to be a pass. So I think that this is some of the wrinkles that Andy Reid saw last year and said, we are going to switch our offense. We are going to um, run a ton more power stuff, power RPOs. And we are just trying to get Joe Thuney, Orlando Brown, and Trey Smith, who could be the absolute steal of the draft, and just try to overpower guys on short downs. And if they just go from, let's say, 21st on short downs to like 10th. That will keep yeah. a lot more drives alive and that will also take care of covering a lot more. I'm trying to wrap my head around. So <clears throat> you're saying when when you have a pulling guard often, almost, all, I don't want to say almost always, but a pulling guard pulling to that side, it's usually going to be a run play to that side. You're getting the extra guard over there. But if you run some mesh play or an RPO, and the linebackers key on that guard and come up, your tight end is just sitting right there wide open in that first, you know, that right behind them in any sort of zone scheme, or if it was man to man, he's clearly lost his man at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I can't see that. I can't see the the, uh, Chiefs being able to pull off complicated offense like that to uh, a T, but I'm with you there. (laughs) They're going to need a good tight end to make this work. They're going to need a tight end. That's what they're going to need. Okay. No, I'm just being silly. The, uh, I guess if it doesn't work out for the Chiefs, short of injury, if it doesn't work out for the Chiefs this year, if they're underwhelming, if they're in a fight for their lives to win the AFC West with the likes of the up-and-coming Chargers and Broncos, 
what went wrong? So if the Chiefs, let's say, not make the playoffs, or let's no, no, just make... like it's it's Jan- it's coming on to January, and we're like equal top of the standings, eleven and three, ten and four, ten and four between the Chiefs, Chargers, and Broncos, and it's not clear that they're going to get the home game in the playoffs. Like, what is it that uh, you know? You know, what what is it that went wrong for these guys? I would say that their defense is probably so bad that they're going to lose some shootouts. That okay. would probably be my best explanation, aside from obvious injury stuff or something like that. Okay. So rather than losing games like they lost the Super Bowl 31-9, they're going to lose games like they defense, lost the yeah. uh, the Raiders game. Uh, yeah, what yeah. was the Raiders game? 40, uh, <laughs> they had 40 trouble with the Raiders, man. They, you know what? The, the Raiders and the, the Chargers give them problems, which is an oh. issue because that's four of their games. But well, it's uh, <laughs> But I'm I'm not cheering against the Chiefs, but I would love to see some a competition there between at least two yeah, of those no, teams of in the West. That'd be fun. Yeah. 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 Cool. For sure, for sure. Okay. So you're probably so it sounds like you're eventually gonna bet Kansas City before the season. Or you missed the best of the numbers, they, so you're gonna pass? Probably yes. I would laugh if I could get some twelve. Yeah. 12 minus 110 or something like that or maybe for whatever reason they lose against the browns in week one and we might grab wouldn't that be a some... shame that'd be <laughs> a damn shame <laughs> well, but then we grab the ravens as well yes ravens yes right yeah, yeah. what if they're on two what's their own three you see their first three games no browns I, I ravens, browns? browns ravens browns ravens chargers Okay, so that you're no, you're you're gonna awesome. you're gonna find out you're gonna find out how good this defense is yeah. real quick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Three potential top ten offenses. So yeah. we might already see some crazy shootouts where they might drop a game or two. It's not it's not uh, impossible. So but then we can smash them. <laughs> Mahomes for MVP is the number that I'm the most excited about because I think you just said the secret word, which is shootouts. There's going to be a lot of shootouts on their schedule. They're playing a ton no, of deep, you know a ton people of like offenses. In their highlights, shootouts. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, you know, guess what? You you, you want to see you want to see someone break a single season record by a magnitude that you didn't think was possible. Wait till you see what Pat Mahomes passing yards and passing touchdowns look like this year. It is going to be absolutely insane and stupid. They go up against a lot of teams that have high pro high high powered offenses up and down the schedule here. Um god damn. In fact, outs the only team that is going there are only two teams that I see on this schedule that are going to struggle to score against the Kansas City Chiefs, and it is the New York Giants and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Everyone else, I think, is going to be able to hang 30 on these guys, and it's going to be – the game's going to be in the balance late a lot. Pat Mahomes is going to have a lot of – can you believe he made that play highlights to win games? He's going to win the MVP ultimately, but I think you're going to get a better price in October than you can get right now. That's my bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so so, – I 100% agree. I think um, if you want to bet the Chiefs, I, it's absolutely worth waiting, in my opinion. So, what is the probability off the top of your head that the Chiefs are one and four after the schedule of Cleveland, Baltimore, Chargers, Eagles, Bills? 
percent. No, it's not two percent. Come on, two percent. No, it's not. Come it's on, it's four. Four at the most. I said four. Okay. So this I mean, is the... just call call four of those games coin flips if you want. That gets you down to six percent if the four are coin flips, and like they're not coin flips. Like the, they tell should you be, what the actual probability is. You think yeah, go go with the money lines. It's two to two to four. Like, I think we found the range. If they're all coin flips, it's six point two five, and they're not coin flips. Like for certain. Are you doing money lines right now? Yeah. We already we already went well over our hour. Oh, I do get two percent. Two point two point six. Weird. Okay. Oh. Right. Oh, oh, he says yeah. he's <laughs> oh, German. Higher. He's got a calculator right up there. <laughs> there's it, it's a higher probability than that, though, because there's some oh, correlation. No, yeah. there's some correlation. Like if the defense is not as good as the market expects, then these money lines are not correctly priced. Yeah, you can double um, some bad variance. Yeah, right. Yep. 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 Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. Well, that was a ton of fun. I'm glad we ended on the Chiefs because. Yeah, I really uh, am excited for to see what this. I mean, that the, the season is going to be. The season feels competitive. This doesn't feel like last season where it was felt like, you know, uh, the Chiefs are going to win again. Let's just crown their ass already, um, and then ultimately Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl for the millionth time. Go figure. Um, how how right. does uh, question to you guys? How do you see the game playing out with this year's offensive line? I think Tampa Bay takes a similar lead and the chiefs come back and win more well, yeah just i mean just in in so many words more scoring probably by both teams 35 31 yeah like it, it's it's a rams chiefs game yeah right it's a classic yeah. tom brady pat mahomes affair yeah yeah team with the ball last wins because yeah okay. tampa bay didn't have to do that do that and they'd be forced to do that and they could do that and yeah i, I Coin flip, first team to 35, yeah. Yeah, 35, 31-ish, yep. something like that. And I think the Chiefs were absolutely allowed to come back in that one if they had an offensive line. Mm -hmm. So, although shit, the, the defense played good that day. That Tampa Bay defense played out of their yes. minds good that day. So, so It was a Murphy-Bunting kind of playoffs. <laughs> that was my favorite i'm more like impressed ultimately them. i didn't make any money on the bucks last year at all winning the super bowl i know suma did but uh i just didn't believe in my heart that they could go and win three games in a row on the road in the nfc playoffs and they made it look easy so no oh, thanks lafleur to be fair when i placed the bet <laughs> i didn't think about three road games to be honest <laughs> <laughs> you thought they were going to win the south you thought they were going to catch the same Gotta yeah. get some luck sometimes. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Out. All right. Well, good job. Let's put put a let's put a uh, let's put a bow. Put a bow on, on this it. Episode. Let's let yeah. Let's let the uh, let's let Suma go to bed. It's, yeah, it's, man. Thank is, you for your time. I really it's appreciate be that. Like, where what, where can people there. find where can people find your outstanding comment? Let the people know if you want more of this type of high level discussion of NFL. Um, you know, if you want to, if you want a guy that can pull win probabilities for five games off the top of his head and get within 0.6%. Where can people find you? <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously, obviously on Twitter at S-U-U-M-A-810, not W. Um, I sell picks. I do some 
analysis around that um, in my Slack channel. Um, you can sign up at uh, football-handicapping.com. And you will also see um, Drew, Rob, and me, and um, Sully on the Matchbook podcast every week during the regular season, Wednesday, I think it's 10 a.m. Eastern time. Those Definitely are in the, the morning, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we promised more disagreement this year. It was fun when we were oppo on a couple last year. Yeah. yeah. I think Suma got the better of me a couple of times. Almost when... every time. There was uh, a couple no. that I for sure had the right side. Like the Chiefs against the Saints. <laughs> that one. We might have to we might have to pull that rant and just post it this year, just as a like instant like when they went on the softest, football channel. Softest Whoa. you know, there was a couple of soft performances that got the better. That was last a Sunday year. night one. I'm gonna go find about. that. When they like on the you know on the NFL network where they show like the world, you know, the best games or the MLB shows, you know, some instant classics like Drew's Chiefs rant might have to get pulled. So well the funny part is Stuma got a win. And I got a push, and I was still mad. <laughs> yeah, that was the maddest I've ever you seen. You had three and a half, and I had minus three, and I was super mad. So, anyway, that was one of the <laughs> luckiest pushes. Oh, uh, even no, you got a win. I think I had three yeah. and a half. Yeah. Yeah, you had three and a half. I'm sure you did. Yeah. All right. Well, best of luck this season, and we will catch up with you on the Matchbook Show. Take it easy, buddy. See you soon. Thanks for having me, guys. Bye, bye.